0: You heard how it went down. Now, time to sum it all up. This is Buck's Talk, presented by Gruber Law Offices. One call, that's all. Recap everything you need to know about this game right now. Now, here's your host, your analyst, and your MC for the evening. Make some noise, Justin Garcia. Yeah.
1: Well, the good news is this win streak has reached a dozen now, and you're just a half game behind the Boston Celtics for the best record in basketball. Despite all those injury issues we've talked about at length, you get another big performance from Javon Carter, who really seems to is seems to have found his role with this team and the rejuvenation of Brooke Lopez continues as well. So those are all the positives. The potential negative is we now wait and see what the latest is with Giannis Adetokounmpo leaving this game after just nine minutes of work with a right wrist sprain. I suppose if if any type of injury or issue is going to occur, the final game before the All-Star break is the time to have it happen as Giannis has a lot on his plate this weekend but it's easily stuff you can miss and a week off. So we wait and see with bated breath now what the status is on Giannis moving forward. We did hear from head coach Mike Budenholzer. We'll replay at least the first part of those comments in case you missed it as it pertains to the status of Giannis moving forward. But that's where we're left as we go into the Ulster break. You feel good, but I'm sure there's a little bit of anxiety with most Bucks fans as well, waiting to find out for certain. Giannis is not going to miss any time, and this isn't anything that's going to keep him off the floor. 855 616 1620 is the Old National Bank. Talk and text line to join us tonight on Bucks Talk. It's the final Bucks Talk of the first half of the season. Hard to believe we've already made it here to the All Star break. But to the final time, we'll have a chance to discuss this until next Friday night. And as I mentioned, Two big games right out of the break. The Miami Heat are a team that uh, they've fallen out of the top six and uh, need to get back into that locked-in playoff spot. They're a team that's been banged up, and you would think the All-Star break is going to do them some good as well. And then potentially a huge showdown with the Phoenix Suns. Will Giannis be on the floor? Remains to be seen. Same for Kevin Durant. Same for Jay Crowder. But on paper, that is a major matchup, your first weekend of the second half of the season. 855-616-1620 is the Old National Bank. Talking text line, Old National Bank. Get old. When we come back, time to hear from you, and we'll hear the comments once again from head coach Mike Budenholzer about Giannis's wrist. Is it time to worry just yet? We'll get into it after this on Bucks Talk. <laughs> 112-100 is the final score in Chicago tonight as the Bucks take down the Bulls. It is 12 straight wins for this Bucks team as they move into the All-Star break. But uh, the big news is you're waiting to see what the latest is on, uh, on Giannis as he left this game after only nine minutes of work with a right wrist sprain. And uh, Coach Mike Budenholzer, as you would imagine, the first thing he was asked after the game, actually better than me describing what he was asked and what he had to say, in case you missed it, uh, head coach Mike Budenholzer after this game about 30 minutes ago on uh, the status of Giannis.
0: Um, You know, I think the initial reports, uh, you know, we're hopeful the x-ray was clean and, um, you know, he's got a sprain. We'll just, you know, I think see how he feels tomorrow. See how he feels the next few days, and continue to evaluate it. Okay. Any idea whether he'll
1: travel to Utah. I have no idea. Maybe. What, when, they, when you do see him, especially go down like that, just how much of a chill, does that send? That send
0: yeah, I mean, you know, he's a guy that is attacking the basket all the time, and um, you know, he's he's fearless, and he he takes a lot of falls. So you kind of learn to just expect him to always bounce back up, and that's what we're hoping from for this one.
1: How much of a chill does it send? Was the question? <laughs> like, yeah, certainly not ideal to to see him go down two games in a row, mind you, and. Uh, I'm still a little surprised he he finished out that game against the Celtics, and I didn't think he was going to play in this game for that reason alone. He went down. It it looked for a moment against the Celtics on Tuesday, like, "Uh uh-oh, is this something we need to monitor? It's your final game before the All-Star break. He's busy this weekend. I was a little surprised that, uh, that he played in this game, but look. We've talked about this a couple of times. This is kind of the point of the schedule now. If you are one of those fans that says, well, I don't like the NBA because players don't play, and I don't like that I don't know who's going to play on any given night, I can't argue with you. It's certainly an issue that I know the league wants to sort out and is looking into, but I think where you really see that culminate and come to a head is November, December, this, or not November, December and January, is it's seemingly right where those issues are of, all right, let's 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 take it easy here. It's Once you get to about that week or two weeks before the All-Star break and then the second half of the season, that's where it, it's go time. And I don't think it's coincidental that the league has toyed around with things like a midseason tournament and talked about doing that in December into January. Because it would juice up some of those matchups and give them importance and meaning, but I think as, as we've seen now, you know, the Bucks kind of took it easy. They've been very, very cautious with everything. We didn't even touch on Chris Middleton because I know there's a lot more concern out there as well. That I've seen some of the chatter of, well, this is obviously a setback. This isn't good. I'm worried. I'm going to maintain. The stance that we've had all season long, I'm not worried until I need to be worried. right? We said from the start, I'm not worried until we get to late January and Chris Middleton is still not playing. We got pretty close. It was January 23rd that he made his comeback. And you've heard some of, well, why is he only playing 15 minutes? Why is he only playing 20 minutes? Against the Celtics on Tuesday, it went up to 25. But like, why isn't he starting? Why isn't he playing more minutes? If this is what it takes to look, let's just take it ultra slow with him and make sure we have him in May. Hopefully June. Fine. I don't need to see Chris Middleton start for the remainder of the regular season if that's the case. And tonight as well. Look, the, the comments that Bud had before the game about Chris Middleton were equally interesting. Where you know those are worth hearing again as well. Of is Giannis going to play? Yeah. What about Chris? Is, is this a setback? But, you know, this was profitable before he was able to do Yeah, we expect him to play. Chris is out. Did he have, like, a setback or an incident in the last game?
0: No, you know, I think we've been talking about it, you know, kind of each time I get asked to just see how he responds, how he feels the next day. And, um, you know, I think he's uh, he's not able to go tonight. So um, I think we're overall not concerned. But, um, you know, we'll see how he does over the break and just continue to, to work with him and make sure he's in a good place when he plays.
1: Um, as you guys try to keep progressing and going on, it's like, is this expected along the way that, like, oh, we might push it a little bit too far, you need the day off, or did this
0: kind of just, like, come out and continue to off? Um, no, I mean, I, I don't, I wouldn't say it's expected. Um, and, yeah, I mean, this was not planned for, this was not, um, so... Um, but, you know, we, we just got to take it, you know, I think day by day. Um, in some ways, that's how, you know, all the guys are. You just got to check in with them, see how they're doing. So, again, I hope, you know, it's, it's um, not anything to be concerned about or, or worried, but just keeping them good, healthy, um, and we'll see how he feels, you know, coming out of the break.
1: So that last part there is, I think, what really triggered a lot of the concern of no – This wasn't necessarily the expected path and plan for Chris Middleton and getting him back into the mix, but it also doesn't trigger any alarm bells. If Chris Middleton doesn't play back-to-backs for the remainder of the regular season, if he's going to miss one out of every, what, this is 13 games since his return, I'm fine with this. If Chris Middleton is all of a sudden not playing Friday, next Friday against the Miami Heat, then we can uh, then we can revisit this discussion. But it just seems to me like we're constantly looking for a reason to be worried. And I'm not quite there yet. 855-616-1620 is the old national bank talking text line as the Bucks wrap up the first half of the season with a 12-game win streak. And we'll see if that can carry over next Friday when you take on the Miami Heat. So again, half game back of the Boston Celtics for the best record in the Eastern Conference. I did find it funny that uh, the Celtics were all of a sudden relatively healthy against the Detroit Pistons last night. So that is why you go into the break a half game back of the Celtics' Because Jason Tatum returned, and Al Horford returned, and Marcus Smart returned for the Celtics in a game against the Detroit Pistons. And look, I get it, right? It is a no-lose situation to say we're only going to play you in one of these two games. Let's play against the Pistons. Because if we play you against the Bucks and we lose that game, then it's, well... <laughs> Here come the Bucs. They're better than the Celtics. They just beat the Celtics with Jason Tatum on the floor. They're on an 11-game win streak. This team has been hot for three-plus weeks now. This is the team to fear. If you sit those guys and bring them back against the Pistons, what if you beat the Bucs with your shorthanded bench squad, which the Celtics nearly did? Then it's, wow. The Celtics bench beat the Bucs. This is clearly the best team in the league. So I get why the Celtics did it. It's gamesmanship, it's great gamesmanship by that Celtics team. And again, it just places all the more importance on winning the Eastern Conference in the regular season. Joe Mazzulla was asked about it. We talked about this on Tuesday night as well. The last couple of years, it's just been so weird because of load management, and players not playing in a handful of games. You think about the percentage of games that players are playing in. For the most part, your best guys, your all-stars, your elite players, outside of Nikola Jokic, who seemingly has a lock for 79 to 80 games a year. 66 to 68-ish games is what you're getting from most of these guys. So we've seen more and more in the last handful of years of arguably your better best teams, some of your better teams, finishing like third. This year we thought potentially even lower, when we thought the Eastern Conference was absolutely loaded for battle. You had the Celtics, you had the Bucks, you had the Sixers. Hey, this Cavs team was really good last year. They've picked it up this year. Still have the best defense in the league. They added Donovan Mitchell. This is a scary team. The Brooklyn Nets, well... What if KD and Kyrie figure things out with this group? That's a pretty good team. So we thought this was at least five teams deep of being able to say, look, we think we have a chance to win the NBA title. Then you had the other teams, like the Knicks. They added Jalen Brunson, the Heat, the Atlanta Hawks, many thought upgraded in the offseason a lot of people seemingly loved the Toronto Raptors once again that has not come to fruition but the point is you had four or five teams that you saw that you thought were saying we have a legit shot to win the title and then another three four teams that you looked at and you said well are they title contenders not so much but is it a team that I'd want to play in the first round absolutely not so we thought the eastern conference playoffs we're going to be a bloodbath. Now it appears, once again, that's going to be in the Western Conference. When you look at teams like the Nuggets and what they've done all season long—forty-one and eighteen—just a half game in, or a half game behind the Bucks for the second-best record in basketball. But they've started to slowly be consistently the best team in the West. Memphis Grizzlies were there for a while. Kind of hit the skids recently. But that's still a good team. The Sacramento Kings have been one of the better stories of this first half of the season. The Phoenix Suns may not have a lot of depth, as we learned, as we talked about the last couple of years. I mean, depth is only so important, only so much, that you rely on that in the postseason. It's really, do you have seven playable guys in the postseason, and who are your best players? Well, the Phoenix Suns can suddenly make a case. Our best players are the best players, with the addition of Kevin Durant. The Clippers, the ultimate case study in load management. If Kawhi Leonard and, and Paul George are both healthy, that's a scary team. The Dallas Mavericks just added Kyrie Irving. Pelicans are kind of worried about, because Zion Williamson is going to miss at least another month. That is... Not good news, but then you have the Warriors who are still lingering back in the play-in tournament. Steph Curry's going to get healthy eventually. Can they weather the storm? And the media would love LeBron James and the Lakers to catapult in there. So when you look at that West, the Nuggets, the Grizzlies, the Kings, the Suns, the Clippers, the Mavericks, the Warriors, LeBron's Lakers, half of those teams are going home in the first round. And in the East... It is completely flipped. You have the Celtics and the Bucks both saying, "Look, we got to win this. We got to win the regular season." Joe Missoula basically told you that. I think what we've seen from this Bucks team recently and the addition of Jay Crowder, it also tells you that. Because if you get that one seed, yeah, it's great to have home court advantage, and we can point back to last year and say, "Well." that series against Boston we really think it goes differently if chris Middleton, or if if game 7 is at home maybe maybe it does the bucks are certainly a very very good team at home and you look at this year 24 and 5 best home record in the eastern conference second best home record in basketball trailing only the denver nuggets but not only do you get home court advantage throughout the playoffs you ensure, let's just assume, the top three are going to be in no particular order, the Celtics, the Bucks, and the Sixers. If you get the one seed, you ensure you are not playing either of those other two teams until the conference finals. You're looking at the Cavs in all likelihood. Maybe it's the Nets. Maybe it's the Knicks. But that's what you're looking at versus the Celtics or the Sixers. And then potentially going through the other of those two teams, in the conference finals. So that is what the trade deadline did. It changed the trajectory of the Eastern Conference because before, you were looking at it and saying, well, well, what's the difference? Either way, we're either going to have to play the Sixers or the Celtics or the Nets with KD and Kyrie, maybe the Cavs. We're going to have to play one of those teams in the second round. And same conversation. You know, the Cavs, the Nets, the, like one of these teams is going home in the first round in that 4-5 matchup. So the events of last Thursday really changed things and put a lot more importance on getting that one seed, and you've got a very, very good chance. But who has the best chance will take a peek at the strength of schedule remaining uh, for those top three teams specifically, but you can't necessarily rule out the Cavs to make a little bit of a climb. Win the conference, still a little bit of a stretch. But get into that top three. That's where it gets interesting. We'll take a look after this on Bucks Talk. For the Bucks if it's Lopez, it's already his third, and it is. Brooks gonna fire up another three from straight away. Splash Mountain is looming large in this one early tonight. Thirty-three points tonight from Brooke Lopez. Uh, he's his second 30-point game of the season. The Brooke Lopez... I don't think he even called it a renaissance, but just the fountain of youth that Brooke Lopez has found and continues to drink from this season has been remarkable. I just saw, too, he is, uh, in terms of the... So this is NBA-specific. This isn't necessarily by our friends out in the desert, but uh, the NBA's Defensive Player of the Year ladder. Brooke Lopez is number one. There was kind of a dip right in that same period of the schedule we talked about being the, eh, not really into the NBA right now, in the, like, January-ish. Early in the season, the, the nine-game win streak, shortly after that as well, Brooke Lopez was the clear front runner. Then you saw Jaron Jackson Jr. come on pretty, sh- Bam Adebayo's been really good. Jaron Jackson Jr., despite the conspiracy theories about his home and road splits that surfaced a couple of weeks ago, which, by the way, are completely unwarranted. So I don't know if you saw this, but there was somebody on Reddit, what, like two, three weeks ago, that just did the legwork. Did you see this, Justin? No? Somebody on Reddit looked into, hey, uh, have you noticed Jaron Jackson Jr.'s splits home and road are drastically different? Like the number of blocks, same number of games, the number of block shots was nearly two more per game. Steals was a little more per game. And they went into, well, I found this and this and this, and laid out this conspiracy theory of, is the stats crew at Memphis Grizzlies games cooking the books for Jaron Jackson Jr.? Now, you can look at every single statistical play that a player does. That, like That's how far the league has evolved. When you go to the NBA's website and you look at their stats, you go to NBA.com slash slash stats, and you click on the blocks per game, you can view every single play. And you can see, well, these, these are legitimate blocks. And also, I I got a chance to talk with some of the Bucs' stat crew and, and one of their guys specifically. I talked with him earlier in the year after I jokingly made a comment on this show about... I thought Brooke Lopez had one more block. Kind of interesting that the, stats group, the stat crew shorted him there. So we caught up, and he's like, hey, look, here's, here's what happens. Here's the verification it goes through. Here's what we do. Here's all the different levels of it. There is no way you could do that. Now, this did happen like 20 years ago, I want to say, in Vancouver. <laughs> Same franchise where I believe it was Damon Stoudemire who had his assist numbers juiced by the home stats crew. Uh, but where the league and technology has evolved, you just can't do it. And this isn't as simple as the stats crew saying, you know what, Let's that that looks like a block to me. This all goes back to Secaucus. They verify it and say, yep, you're good to record that as a block. So uh, Jaron Jackson Jr. was a topic for about a week of, man, these numbers aren't adding up. And he was the frontrunner for Defensive Player of the Year for quite a while. Well, the NBA's Defensive Player of the Year ladder, the updated one, has Brooke Lopez back in the one spot. And another big defensive performance tonight with four blocked shots. So he continues to be incredible. 33 points, the defense that he gives, and another big performance from Javon Carter off the bench who really, really looks comfortable and seems to have found his role and his niche with this team as a scorer off the bench and an energy guy defensively. I know he started tonight, but Javon Carter, if there is a guy that was kind of the, well, I wish he was playing more, the number one guy last year, especially in that playoff series, and I'm sure a lot of people, well, size, I don't know, he hasn't done it before, he has... All the confidence in the rest of Bucks' Twitter, Bucks fans, everybody watching the games. You are fully on board with Javon Carter at this point. 855 616 1620, the old National Bank talk and text line. Let's head to the phone lines and to talk with Ricky. You're up first on the show.
0: Yes, hi. I just want to say um, I'm really bummed at what happened to Giannis tonight. Uh hopefully all goes well for him and hopefully once the second half of the season comes on then he'll be back. Um I'm still glad that the Bucks were able to pull out another win, twelve straight wins. Um <clears throat> Brooke Lopez putting up thirty-three points, four blocks. I mean this is another excellent game from Lopez. I mean even Javon Carter was scoring twenty-two points, he did really good tonight, and um <clears throat> others did well tonight. And so when the second half of the season comes, I'm looking forward to seeing Middleton, Portis, and Jay Crowder out there and hopefully Giannis with them. And uh, hopefully the Bucks can uh, go all the way and win another championship.
1: Yeah. Ricky, before I let you go, when you saw Chris Middleton wasn't playing tonight, were you concerned? And, and I think the silence means no. Um. Jaron Jackson Jr., just to to put a bow on that point. The numbers have changed slightly since the conspiracy post on NBA Reddit, but the home road splits here. He has played 22 games at home, 18 games on the road. And again, I am not feeding into this and saying, yep, it's a conspiracy. His numbers are juiced. Um, he has 94 blocked shots in 22 home games. 94. So 4.3 blocks per game. And in 18 road games, he has 37. So two. So he's averaging more than twice as many blocks per game. At home, then on the road, he has 31 steals in those 22 home games. He has 13 steals in those 18 road games. So there is a major, major uptick home and road. But look, also, the Memphis Grizzlies are are very good defensively. I believe they're third behind the Bucks and the Cavaliers. Their numbers at home defensively have been off the charts. And the foul numbers the other thing to keep an eye on. And to me, that's the ultimate reason why there's still a lot of time left, a lot of schedule left. But if I had to choose someone, at the risk of being biased for who is the defensive player of the year, I would take Brooke Lopez over Jaron Jackson Jr., as great as he has been defensively, blocked shots, steals, the whole picture, his defensive versatility. Uh, the fouls, 135 fouls. In 40 games, he, he just fouls too much. And if you are the defensive player of the year, you're, you're doing it without fouling if you're telling me you're the best defender. Well, the best defenders typically don't foul. 855-616-1620, the old National Bank talking text line. When we come back, the strength of schedule for the top, I'll say top four teams in the Eastern Conference because I mentioned it's a long, long road for the Cavaliers to erase that five-game deficit that separates them and the Celtics, four-and-a-half that separates the Cavs and the Bucks. One game left, by the way. Um, but that doesn't mean they can't move into the top three. So we'll take a look. What will the second-half schedule have in store for those top four teams? We'll reveal it after this on Bucks Talk. Backstep, working around the Lopez screen. Takes it down low. Now going to pull up and hit again. Oh, my goodness. Javon Carter has smoke pouring out of both barrels of the gun. 22 points tonight for Javon Carter. And again during this win streak especially, but all season long, he has been solid. You, you think back to the 35-point masterpiece against the Oklahoma City Thunder very, very early in the season. And uh, as as we mentioned on the postgame show, the network postgame show, that is, Javon Carter is the Bucks' leading three-point shooter so far this season. So uh, you love what you're getting from Javon Carter so far this season And you love that you basically didn't have Giannis for this game, leaving with that wrist sprain. We're going to mention that again. Right wrist sprain for Giannis. Played nine minutes. We heard from Coach Budenholzer, said he's optimistic, and said the initial evaluation and x-rays were clean, but they'll wait and see what further testing reveals and what this weekend reveals. I would assume Giannis is not playing in the All-Star game. But, look, I didn't think Giannis was playing again that season after the injury against the Atlanta Hawks. So who knows? But if Giannis does not play in the All-Star game, by the way, if Giannis is unavailable this weekend, that really throws a wrench in the NBA's weekend plans. Because I mentioned you have Giannis, Alex, and Thanasis coaching the celebrity game tomorrow. So like that, it's all right. Thanassis and Alex, you guys got this. We're down one coach. Fine. But Saturday, you had the same three brothers in the skills contest. So, what happens there? See if you can get Costas in. And then Sunday, not only the All Star of, well, we got to find a replacement for Giannis, we got to replace the captain, and we got to replace the guy that's selecting the team. They're drafting right before the game itself played. So potentially uh, putting the NBA in scramble mode for their weekend plans if Giannis is unavailable. But uh, on that point about Javon Carter and what he's done so far this season, he's been their best three-point shooter so far. And you saw it again tonight, four of five on his threes. He's just found his niche, that pull-up jumper, that pull-up three in transition has really been a shot earlier in the season. It was kind of that floater right around the free throw line, and now it's been that pull up three in transition. He's shooting forty one percent on threes. He's played in fifty seven games, like he has been their Iron Man so far this season. So he has been terrific. More than seven points a game. That's a career high for Javon. The uh, the shooting for the amount of games played. Close to a career high. I mean, he shot 56% on threes in 20 games with the Bucks last year. He shot 43% on threes with the Suns in 58 games. His second year in the league back in 2019-2020. He's scoring more points. His two and a half assists is also a career high. Half a block per game, that's a career high. So it's been a tremendous year so far for Javon Carter. So he and Brooke Lopez steer you to this victory tonight. Now, I mentioned, and we're going to take one more break, but I promise when we come back, we'll take a look at this schedule for those top four teams in the East because a couple of things really stand out, and there are two teams that are on the opposite ends of the spectrum, and it could have an impact on who's the four seed in the Eastern Conference. We'll tell you who they are after this on Bucks Talk. Giannis attacking on the other end. Kicks it out. Three-pointer on the way. Grayson Allen sticks it from the left wing. So, by the way, that assist puts Giannis number one in Bucks history for assists. He sets the franchise record right there. Yeah, oh, by the way, another record for Giannis. Came so close to breaking that mark Tuesday against the Boston Celtics. He gets it tonight in Chicago, the all-time assist king. In a Bucks uniform, he is the scoring leader. I mean, when you look at this, and I mentioned this the other day, all the records that Giannis is going to own, not just by the time he retires, like by the end of this season, at his current pace, he is going to be the all-time leader in points scored, assists, blocks, field goals. Free throws made, free throws attempted, minutes played, triple doubles, games played. He's going to get to rebounds very, very soon. He is basically going to own every single record that there is outside of three-point shooting all time for the Milwaukee Bucks. All right, as promised, strength of schedule remaining for these teams in the Eastern Conference. So right now, Celtics are number one, Bucks are a half game back, Sixers are three games back. The Philadelphia 76ers have played the fewest games in basketball in this first half of the season. They are one of, I believe, three teams that have 25 games remaining in the second half of the season. So they got to play more games than most other teams. They also, by the numbers, have the most difficult schedule remaining in all of the NBA. Two games against the Celtics, two games against the Bucks, a game with the Nuggets, a game with the Memphis Grizzlies, a big, potentially huge game with the Cleveland Cavaliers. So they have an incredibly difficult schedule. We heard last night Joel Embiid said, I'm not healthy. I haven't been healthy for three weeks. I don't know if I'm playing in the All Star game. What a disaster of a couple of days for the league if all of a sudden Kevin Durant, we know, is out of the All Star game. And then in 24 hours, Joel Embiid and Giannis essentially take themselves out of the game as well. But Philadelphia with the toughest remaining schedule, the Boston Celtics have the 10th most difficult remaining schedule. They have 23 games remaining. And uh, they have, as we mentioned, two games with the Sixers. They have two games with the Cavs, two games with the Knicks. That's one of their more difficult matchups. And then a game with the Bucks, a game with the Grizzlies as well. The Bucs are 11th. So if you're clinging to any, hey, we're going we're gonna to pass the Celtics, it's, you're right there with the Celtics. You basically have an even strength of schedule. You have one more game left than the Celtics. You do have some more back-to-backs to get through, but it's hey, we're going to be healthy. We're on a 12-game win streak. We've seen what happens when we're close to full strength and we both have the same strength of schedule remaining. That's your optimism for the Bucks. If you're the Sixers, it's well, we got to stay healthy. And I've continued to point this out. Sixers, Celtics, and the Nets, although Take the Nets out of it after the trade deadline. But those two teams have been very healthy in terms of man games lost. I know the Sixers had that stretch with Maxi and Harden out, but they've been very healthy. The Bucs, the Heat, the Cavs, not so much. And the Sixers now with a lot of games at 25 and the toughest remaining schedule in the league. Cavaliers have the 27th most difficult schedule remaining. In other words, fourth easiest they only have twenty game, 21 games left. There are three teams that have already played 61 games. The Cleveland Cavaliers are one of them, and it's really just two games with the Celtics, one game with the Sixers. Western Conference matchup, they got the Nuggets. That's about it for a difficult schedule. So I think that schedule really paves the way for it's either the Bucs or the Celtics that is going to finish with the best record in basketball. And then the second question is, well, can Cleveland catch Philly? which ultimately changes that discussion we just had, a lengthy one about the importance of getting the one seed. Well, if Cleveland catches Philly, does that go out the window? And does it all of a sudden, well, it doesn't matter, because if you finish second, what if that means you're getting the Cavs in the second round versus finishing first, and sure, you have home court throughout, but you're getting Philly in the second round. That is the other thing to keep an eye on, these final few weeks of the regular season. Yes, weeks because by the time we return to play, February is essentially over. It's next Friday the 24th and then you get into March, a lot of games in that month of March. Some more back-to-backs on the horizon for the Bucks, but what? 7 weeks, 6 weeks left in this NBA season, but that is your look at the strength of schedule, a very, very difficult second half of the season for the Cleveland or for the Philadelphia 76ers, for the Cleveland Cavaliers. Not so much, and then for the Bucks and the Bull, uh, Bucks and the Bulls, Bucks and the Celtics, you're at the same spot. You look at the Bucks' most difficult games. You got the Suns, you got the Kings, still got two games with the Nets. And look, I know they traded Kevin Durant and Kyrie. That does not look like a fun team to play defensively. And, and oh, by the way, Mikhail Bridges scored 45 points last night. You got the Grizzlies once more. The two we mentioned with the Sixers, and you got to go to Denver to take on the Nuggets. And that big, big game with the Celtics, even strength of schedule, basically even amount of games left, and one game left between these two teams that is going to determine the tiebreaker should you need it. So uh, to me, it it seems as though the writing's on the wall, barring any injuries, and certainly what happened tonight would factor into that, this really feels like it is either the Celtics or the Bucs That's going to take the top record in basketball, not so much the 76ers. We'll wrap up the show, wrap up the first half of the regular season after this on Bucks Talk. First half of the season comes to an end with a 12 point win in Chicago. The Bucks make it 12 straight wins. And now head into the All Star break, a half game back of the Boston Celtics. My thanks to everybody for hanging out and listening for the last hour, to Justin Pottinger and Chris Larson for producing the show. We'll talk to you next Friday as we begin the second half of the season with more Bucks Talk.